This morning, our scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark. We'll read chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Let's read God's good word together. He went up to the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, and to be sent out to proclaim the message, and to have authority to cast out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Good morning, my name is Brandon Blackston. I'm the associate pastor here, and we're recording this on a Wednesday. And today uh, we've seen the news that protesters have uh, breached the Capitol. The Capitol is on lockdown on the day that um, Congress was to have a vote to certify the results of the Electoral College. And so I don't know what's going to happen over the next couple of days or or even later on today, and uh, let alone where we'll be by the time you're watching this on Sunday. Um, So I just want you to know that today I'm praying for peace. I'm praying for safety for everyone who's involved. I'm praying for those who are empowered to do the right thing, for the triumph of truth, and for the preservation of our democracy. Next week in our series, Better, Pastor Mark's going to be talking about how we can be better in public, in the way that we live as a society, in the way that we conduct our public witness. And so we'll really have the opportunity to drill down in what it means to be a part of a society, in particular in one that is going through the troubles that ours is going through now. But in the midst of so many things that are difficult, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a country that is so divided, and sometimes even on the verge of violence, We have very little control of many of the things that are happening. But one of the things that we do have control of is how we respond and how we seek to grow in health, whether we're seeking to become better. And so I want to invite you um, during these difficult times to do what you can to become better, to resolve to use the grace that God is giving to you and offering to you and to answer it by following God's call and seeking to allow God's grace to work in you to help you become healthier better. Because we all want a better 2021, but that only happens if the people who are living in 2021 actually become better themselves. And so that's what we're talking about these first few weeks of the year. Um, Last week, what Pastor Mark talked about is our lives in private, our private lives, and we can become better in private. And one of the ways that Pastor Mark encouraged us to do that is to set apart time to be alone with God, a time and a place. And as we do that, we have time to be in solitude, to spend time listening to God's voice, and to have God guide us. And our time alone with God helps us become not only better in private, but also better in person with others. One of the things that I hope that you'll see over these uh, next couple of weeks, last week, this week, and next week, is that as we grow better in private and in person and in public, that it doesn't just affect that area. All of these go together. And so as we grow better in our private lives, we're able to be better in our personal lives, in our lives with others, and in our public lives as part of society. And so all of these are interrelated. And uh, as we grow in one, we grow in the others as well. And so today we're looking at our lives with others, how we are in person with others. And one of the things that is true about us is that we are made for relationships. That's really at the core of who we are in the way that God made us. We are social animals. We thrive on relationships with others. We're not made to to be lone rangers to people who are completely independent. We need those relationships. We're dependent on others. That's, That's baked into the very way that we are made. And this is what we see in the book of Genesis, in the creation account. This is what it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. 
I will make him a helper as his partner. And so from the very beginning, God knew that it was not good for humans to be alone. And we were made for one another. And of course, that's the story of Adam and Eve. And, um, and they had a romantic relationship, but it's not just limited to romantic relationships. We need other people in our lives. We need family. We need friends. We need people at work. We need people in our church, in our small group. We need relationships. It's how we're made. And, and in some way, that even comes as, as part of what it means that we are made in the image of God. Because relationship is at the very core of God's being. God is the Trinity, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in eternal, loving relationship with one another. And so whenever we are in relationship with other people, and particularly whenever we're in loving, fulfilling relationships, we are actually embodying the being of God. We are, we are created in the image of God, the social image of the Trinity. And so we live that out in the way that we relate to others, in the way that we are in relationships. And so relationships are fundamental to our existence. There's something at the core of who we are but they're also really hard. And so you don't have to be alive very long to figure that out. If you have children, if you have parents, if you have siblings, you know that things get difficult. It's difficult to get along with other people. It's difficult whenever there's been a breach in the relationship, someone did something hurtful, there's been a breach of trust. And it's difficult whenever we just fundamentally disagree about something important whether that's what channel we're watching or about the way that, uh, that things should be in the world, the way that we're going to parent, any of those things are difficult. And sometimes they get so difficult that we want to just opt out, that we just say, you know, it would be a lot cleaner if I didn't have to worry about these other people, if I didn't have to um, find ways to get along with people, if I didn't have to run my decisions by anyone else. But, but here is what is true about us. If we opt out of relationships, we miss out on a fundamental piece of what it means to be human. We're not made to go through life alone. We're made to live in relationships. And so it's so important for us to learn how to do that well, to learn how to be better in our relationships, to learn how to be better in person. And so we want to choose to live in relationships and to do that well. And whenever we look to Jesus, we see that this was an important part of his life as well. He didn't choose to just go it alone. Uh, He didn't need anyone else unlike us. And yet he still chose to spend his life with 12 disciples. He decided that in his public ministry that he was going to rely on others and to accept their help, to accept their companionship, and to do life with them. And so this is what the Gospel of Mark tells us. He went up to the mountain and he called to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles to be with him. He didn't do life on his own, but he he appointed 12 others who were to be with him. And not only to be with him, but to be sent out to proclaim the message and to have authority to cast out demons. Jesus chose other people to be a part of his life. He knew that that relationship is so fundamental that he prioritized it in his life. And he even prioritized relationships over efficiency in his ministry. For a lot of us, if, if you're anything like me, in the new year, you've tried to be more productive, to uh, check out your systems and to see how they could be functioning more, more efficiently, to figure out how to get more things done, how to get the right things done. But, but there's something in the way that Jesus approaches relationships that doesn't quite line up with that. And so we see this in the story just a couple of chapters later in the Gospel of Mark. Um, he, he, as he was getting off of a boat, um, one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. 
So we went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. And so there's this pressing need, a, a little girl's at, on, on the verge of death, and, and the father comes to Jesus and begs him to come and to heal her. And so they go, and this crowd is um, just everywhere around Jesus. They've heard stories of him and want to be close to him, and they follow him. This is what happens next. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And so this woman came seeking Jesus' help, seeking his healing, and, um, and even just came and just trusted him so much that she knew if she only touched his clothing that she would be healed. And so you've got these two needs that, that are presented to Jesus. And one is um, a woman who's been suffering for 12 years. One is a girl who is on the verge of death. And so you look at these two things. One of those is um, something that's been going on for a long time is also not fatal and one that is absolutely acute. And I don't know a whole lot uh, about, uh, about medicine or anything like that. I do know that um, whenever you're triaging these two, it's pretty obvious which one needs your attention. And so this is how Jesus responds. Immediately aware that power had gone, out, had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And, and so the woman had reached out. She touched Jesus' clothing and was healed. The woman was already healed, but Jesus stopped to bless her anyway. He, he stopped, even though he had something really important that he needed to tend to, even though there, there was someone whose life was on the line. Jesus stopped for this woman who, who was clearly not the priority if you triage and who was also already healed, but he stopped to bless her. And this is what happened. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And, and so he stopped just to acknowledge her, just to bless her, just to let her know what had happened and that she mattered to him. And of course, the story ends well. The, the girl ends up dying before Jesus can get there, but he raises her from the dead. And so she's all right. But, but there's, there's so much here, I think, in the way that Jesus prioritizes this woman who had no claim on him, who was just part of this massive crowd that was impeding his work. And yet he stopped for her. He prioritized the relationship. And so I wonder in your life, how are you prioritizing your relationships? The, the relationships that are most important in your life, your family, if you have a spouse, if you have children, how are you prioritizing those relationships? Not only that, but, but parents, um, siblings, other people in your family, how are you prioritizing your friendships? How are you tending to relationships with your coworkers? It, it's difficult work, and one of the things that we run into is our busyness can crowd out time with others and erode our relationships. And I know we have a lot of people in our community who are really busy, who are high achievers, and I know that's something that's difficult in my life as well. Since the pandemic is going on, my work has gotten harder. It's been really demanding, and sometimes I've taken time away from my family in order to do that work. And, and I've realized that, um, that it's important for me to do my work well, but I also need to prioritize my relationships with my wife 
and my daughter. And, and so I can't continue that. And it's important. I need to change the way that I'm doing that, to be more efficient at work, to do the things that are important, but then also to make sure that I'm giving the time to my wife and my daughter that they need. And it's really important because we're about to have two, and I know that time is not going to increase to give me more time to do all the things at home that need to be done. And so I'm looking at how I can prioritize my time with them more than I have been. And so I wonder for you, how are you prioritizing the most important relationships in your life, the people that God has called you to love? And then whenever you are with others, how present are you? Are you really with them, focused on them, or do you have your phone in one hand and your one ear on the conversation and you're kind of scrolling or checking email every few minutes to make sure you don't miss anything? How present are you? Because even whenever we're, we're bodily with people, we're not necessarily with them. And sometimes even whenever I have my phone, it's easy for me to, for my mind to be somewhere else, thinking about um, a conversation I had earlier in the day or a problem that I've got to work through and, and not fully present with the people that we're with. And it's so important for us to figure out how we can be present with the people that God has called us to care for. Because whenever we prioritize our relationships, we experience more of the life that, God, that we were made for, that is encoded in our very being, our life and relationship, because that's how God made us. And so we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to grow in those relationships and to prioritize them. But it's not just a matter of prioritizing. We also actually have to learn how to be better in those relationships, not just to spend the time, but to spend the time well and to do the things that we need to do in order to grow in those relationships. And so I want to share with you four practices that can help us to be better in person. These come from ethicist Christine Pohl, who led a study on thriving communities of all sizes and what those communities had in common. And so this is what she said. In families, communities, and congregations that are vibrant and sturdy, um, sturdy is not usually a word that we think of in our relationships, but there's something to be said for sturdiness. We notice certain patterns in relationships. We see folks making and keeping promises, living and speaking truthfully, expressing gratitude, and offering hospitality. And so in their studies, they saw these four practices over and over again in groups that were healthy and that were strong. And so these are four practices that we can use in our relationships, whether that's in our churches, in our businesses, or in our families and our friendships, but they're fundamental to being in a relationship and to making that relationship strong and healthy. And so the first of those is making and keeping promises. And as people of faith, this is one that is natural for us because we know that the foundation of our life with God is God's covenant with us. God made a promise to be with us, to be our God, to support us, and to bless the world. And it starts with God's promise to Abram way back in Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you, this is the promise, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And the fulfillment of that promise we see of the last part of that we see in Jesus through whom, who as a descendant of Abraham made God's blessing accessible and offers it to everyone, including us today. And so making and keeping promises is absolutely fundamental to what it means to be in a relationship. Sometimes those are explicit promises. They're things that we promise whenever we sign a contract, whenever we um, get married, um, even in our faith life, whenever we're baptized, we make promises to God and to our community of faith. 
And as a community of faith, when someone new is baptized into our community, we make promises to support them as well. Sometimes they're implicit promises. Uh, whenever we have children, we don't make a vow at any time uh, that we're going to um, do certain things, but there are things that are implicitly promised, that we're going to care for them, to raise them in the way that leads to life, and to support them in the way that they need it. And these promises, whether big or small, are fundamental to being in a relationship. And so whether it's in the carpool line, uh, you know, promises like that don't seem important until the person who promised to be there does not show up. That is pretty important then. Whether in the carpool line, in a business deal, or a marriage vow, relationships are built on promises both made and kept. And so how are you doing at keeping your promises? For a lot of us, probably one of the things that we need to realize is that we are overextended that we have made too many commitments, we've made promises to too many people, and we need to pare those down so that we can keep our most important promises to the people that God is calling us to fulfill those promises with. And so we make and keep promises. The next one is truthfulness. And um, back in the 13th century, Thomas Aquinas said this, it would be impossible for men to live together unless they believed one another and as declaring the truth to one another. And that's true for us as well. It's impossible to be in a strong relationship with someone that you don't trust if you don't believe that they're telling you the truth. And that's one of the things that Thomas realized so long ago. It's true for us today as well. But it's not always easy. And sometimes we're tempted, you know, we can find justifications for, for bending the truth. Um, sometimes bending is, uh, is, um, is not even the right word for it. But, but just for saying things that either flat out aren't true or that leave out important details or that exaggerate. But there are things like convenience. Sometimes we want to preserve the other's feelings. We don't want to say something that's mean. And so we skirt around the truth. Sometimes we want to keep up appearances. We want to make ourselves look good. And sometimes there are things that we want that, that we, would be, we would not get if we were to tell the full truth. And, and those things tempt us toward lying, toward not being truthful in all of our relationships. And it's easy to find justifications, but, but this is what we read in Ephesians about what it means to live together. It says, Putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. And if we're members of one another, we absolutely have to be truthful. Because as Jesus said, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. And sometimes we're like, yeah, Jesus, I know you said that, but, you know, nobody else claims cash on their income tax return. And so I, I really don't need to be truthful about that. But, you know, if I say this to them, that will really hurt their feelings. And so it's okay if I just soften it up a little bit. He doesn't say the truth will set you, will make you captive or, or half-truths will set you free, but the truth will set you free. Now, that doesn't mean that we say everything that we think. Um, there is tact involved, there is timing involved, and there's discernment about what, what God would have us to share with others. But whatever we share, it has to be the truth. The third practice is expressing gratitude. One of the things that gratitude does for us is it helps us recognize the blessings other people bring into our life. And really, it's a matter of what we focus on. In a relationship, there are always going to be things that are great. There are always going to be things that could use improving. And the way that we perceive that relationship and really the quality of that relationship can depend on what we choose to focus on. 
John Gottman, um, the renowned um, marriage expert, found in one study that couples who had a negative view of their marriage, whenever they were asked to, to notice positive interactions with their spouse, interactions, um, they missed 50% of the positive ones. They, because they were so focused on the belief that their marriage was bad, they would miss the positive interactions. And so whenever we focus on things that are bad, we see the bad things and we miss the good things. But whenever we focus on the things that we're grateful for, whenever we give thanks for those things, we actually perceive those relationships in a different way, in a way that can lead those relationships toward healing and thriving. And so we practice gratitude. We, we do that internally, but we also express that to others. We say thank you. And whether that's for uh, being there at a crucial time or just taking out the trash, we say thank you to those who bless us. And then the fourth practice is hospitality. And this one's really important for us here. One of our core values is welcoming all. We practice hospitality, and in fact, we have a staff person who, whose role is to coordinate radical hospitality. And that wording is intentional because whenever we welcome new people, we can welcome them with the love and hospitality of Christ. We can allow people into our community who experience that love and welcome and acceptance. And that's important in any relationship that we practice that, whether with our family, in our work, in our community, and in our church. We practice hospitality. And so those four practices can transform our relationships and can help us to be better. And as we try to practice that, I want to give you these four action steps to to put it just a little bit more concretely. And so the first one is I want to encourage you to plan and to make a plan to devote more time to a relationship that you've been neglecting. And as we talked about earlier, busyness can lead us to neglect the people who are most important to us. And so maybe that's a spouse or a child. Maybe that's a friend that you haven't called in a long time, a grandparent, a parent, a cousin, a coworker, whoever that is. Pray and ask who God would have you to reach out to and make a plan to prioritize that relationship more. I told you that, that over the last few months, I've struggled not to let work sometimes overshadow my time with my family. And so I've been working on ways that I can keep that in its proper place. I've, I've said no to things so that I can say yes to my family. But make a plan so that you can spend time on those relationships that you've been neglecting. And then every day, thank someone for the blessing they are to you. Because gratitude is essential in our relationships. Whenever we are grateful, it changes the way that we see and experience the world. And it can change somebody else's day as well. And so just whatever it is, if somebody holds a door open for you, if they help you on a big project at work, if, if they uh, just make dinner for you, take your plate to the sink, whatever it is. And of course, put it in the dishwasher. I was not raised in a barn. But thank somebody. Thank somebody for the blessing that they are in your life. And then in our relationships, it's not just the big things that count, but really our most important relationships are showing up whenever we're needed in the little things. And so show up in the little things for the people in your life to make a big difference over time. It's not just grand gestures that can transform a relationship, but it's day after day, the steady faithfulness of being there, of prioritizing our relationships and committing to make them better, to being better for the people around us who count on us, who depend on us, and whom God has called us to love. And whenever we do that, whenever we grow in our relationships and we're able to grow and to serve God's people, we can have such a powerful effect. 
This is one of the things um, from one of the books that I most love from Marilyn Robinson and the book Gilead. It's, it's um, a collection of letters that a, a fictional father had late in life um, who was blessed with a son and found out that he had a congenital heart defect and wasn't going to be around for most of his son's life. And so he began writing him letters, and in one of them he shares this. He says, I'm writing this in part to tell you that if you ever wonder what you've done in your life, and everyone does wonder sooner or later, You have been God's grace to me, a miracle, something more than a miracle. And whenever we prioritize, whenever we love, whenever we express gratitude to the people around us, we can be God's grace to them, a miracle and something more than a miracle. And it will change lives whenever we do. It will change our own for the better. Will you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.